You are listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Come on in, have a seat. Welcome to another episode of the Fujifilm Creator Series that we do. For those of you who are unaware, you new listeners on the show, I have partnered up with Fujifilm. They are a sponsor of the show. But more than that, what I love about Fujifilm is that they really, really do care about creatives. They support creatives. They go out and finance short films. They help us with this show. They're very, very focused on developing talent. That's a big part of it. And they're very smart by doing so, right? Because they'll get lifelong friendships out of their collaborations. Um, our buddy Victor that works at Fujifilm, we all love him. I love him. You'll hear people talk about how great he is. Um, and uh, all his team, his entire team behind them, they all love storytelling. And they all love making movies. So uh, this seemed like the perfect partnership. Uh, and so what they've done, what these, what this Fujifilm Creator Series is all about, they send me the oftentimes director and cinematographer for one of the films that they're putting together. Now, they help finance these films straight through production into the festival stuff, which is insane. I've never heard of anybody doing that. And so what they want me to do is sort of talk to the folks that are making these movies, are making these pieces, and see if we can learn something from the process. Because oftentimes some of these are first-time directors, people that don't normally get this situation or the ability to have this situation. Um, and so it's interesting. It's fun. It's fascinating. And uh, every time I have one of these conversations, I find myself learning something new. And today's episode is, you'll see, you'll see as you listen to this one, there's a lot of learning here that happens on both sides. And there's nothing better than when the guest, one of my guests on the show stops the conversation and says, wow, I've never been on a show like this before. I've never had a conversation where I'm learning from the from the host of the show. And I say to them, you'll hear me. I go, I, I never thought of doing this this way. I've learned it from you. So if you're here because you're a young filmmaker and you're looking to learn something new, you're going to get some honest shit on, on today's show. Good stuff. The stuff that you'll turn to when stuff gets hard. The stuff that the, the tips that you will fall back on when you are on that first day on a big movie set and an understanding that you'll have when you're dealing with actors and with your teams. All that is on today's episode. I'm very excited about it. All right. So joining me on the show today, director Jessica Hester is joining me and her cinematographer, Derek Swickhart. I think I said that right, Derek. Derek Swickhart. Um, and they're both on the show. They have a film that is in post-production right now called Defender um, about a female boxer. And it looks and sounds fascinating. I haven't seen the movie yet, but there is a trailer. I think you'll be able to watch the trailer if you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com and click on our episode for today. And I will try to embed the trailer or give you the link for the trailer there. Um, check it out. It's super cool. Uh, it's fascinating, right? Because there is this tradition of boxing movies, right? The storytelling that seems to be so perfect for cinema and the visual language of storytelling is often boxing. And you've got all these legendary classic movies made by some of the best uh, storytellers in the industry, whether you're talking Scorsese and Raging Bull, if you're talking Cinderella Man, uh, if you're talking Rocky, um, there are so many great films out there, Ali, uh, that just have shaped 
the language of cinema through boxing. So uh, whether or not you like the boxing movies or that genre itself, there's always something to be learned with it. And it sounds like what they're doing here with Defender is trying to tell a story not only about boxing, but also just sort of getting over um, your past injuries, getting over your traumas. And trauma is a big theme of today's show. So uh, strap yourselves in for it. But before we get to it, I want to thank everybody for following me on Instagram at Mike Petri and following the podcast at In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P-O-D on Instagram. I have been hard at work answering your DMs. 12KM is going out all over the place. People are excited about it. We've sold t-shirts, all sorts of stuff going on. That is the place to go to stay up with the show. That is also the place to go if you want to give me feedback on episodes. I really appreciate all the feedback that I get from fans and listeners of the show. If I was smart, let me see if I could do this real quick. I'll give myself three seconds here. Uh, if I was smart, I'd read some of the feedback that we've had. Nothing more interesting than listening to Mike scroll through his Instagram messages. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Have to follow this through. <laughs> I'm about to give up. So many DMs in here. Anyway, I'll find them for the next episode. I really do appreciate you guys giving feedback to the show. Really do. Because it's, I feel like at this point, it doesn't feel like I'm like screaming out into the universe. You know, like I feel like you're actually here sitting with me. That's important. It's good motivation for me to keep it real. Uh, it's good motivation for me to keep doing it. And uh, it's good motivation for me to make it better. So please give me feedback. Instagram at Mike Petchy. All right. Without further ado, Derek, Jessica, and I have a lot to talk about. So find a comfy place. Uh, get ready for some serious knowledge on how to make movies on the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Jessica, Derek, thanks for being on the show. How are you? We're good. good. Thanks. Thanks for having us. I'm very excited. I'm excited to chat. I uh, definitely checked out the trailer for your film, which 
looks amazing. Uh, I can't wait to actually see the piece itself. You know, thank you to Fujifilm, obviously, for setting up this this uh, conversation. And uh, I'm really excited to hear about uh, both of your process making this film. And then let's just get, uh, you know, let's get a little loose in the industry and sort of talk about how, you know, you both got into the, the business. And let's start sure. with, with you, Jessica. Like, why directing? Why am I directing? Um, you know, I... I was interested in the arts very early when I was in college. I was more interested in running my theater company than going to class. <laughs> um, so I just became very invested very early in storytelling. I wanted to be an actress first, but I couldn't stop directing everything around me. Um, <laughs> so everyone was like, you would be an amazing director. Um, I resisted for a whole decade. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then eventually I, I decided to give it a go and I really love it. It, it, it. It's you bring everything together, the acting, the writing, even the producing on some level. What was the resistance for you? Why were you resisting for so long? You know, I think it was very psychological, rooted into childhood, but I was like, I was the oldest of five. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I just wanted to play. And as an actor, I thought, oh, I could just play and not be responsible for so much. Um, so that was the resistance, really. <laughs> well, I, I completely uh, sympathize because I was the oldest of four and the oldest of all the cousins and everything. So uh, growing up, it was always like, yes, I'll watch the kids or yes, I'll do this. I always exactly. felt like the most responsible person. I'm sure you felt the same way. Yes. But yeah. you know what? You're, you, I believe you're put in your birth order on purpose. Uh, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, I hope. <laughs> and also, it's yeah. no surprise that we're both directors. <laughs> like it, exactly, it, yes. Yeah, yeah, we're always herding cats, it feels like. Yeah. Um, that's cool. That's cool. And then, well, Derek, uh, why cinematography for you? What was the, the choice to go down that road? Um, wow, boy. So I... I started my career as a sweeping the floors and cleaning cases at the uh, the camera house in Los Angeles, which was a kind of a boutique camera rental uh, shop. Now it's called the Camera Division. It's still there, going strong. Cool. Um, and in fact, before that, my, my dad was a rental manager of Burns and Sawyer, which is also still there, going oh, strong. And, okay. Um, I so I kind of grew up like on the prep bay and just always was around gear and cameras and lenses. And that was a conversation and um, had a lot of people tell me to, you know, get a real job and do anything, but go into Hollywood. <laughs> and uh, I denied that and decided to study film in, in college. And uh, it was really after college though, I, you know, it's like, Oh, do I go to grad school? Do I do, you know, filmmaking or do I just go get a job? And, yeah. You know, I couldn't afford to just go to grad school, so I got a job, and um, and yeah, like I said, I you know my uncle kind of helped me get into the the it's a job in shipping and receiving, and I worked there for a while, and then started to learn and learned. It was a really opportune time for me because it was right when digital was starting mm -hmm. and everything was transitioning, mm -hmm. and so it kind of leveled the playing field for for young people who were coming in because you know I was good with computers and digital stuff. Like it made sense to me. And, um, and I became the, the digital technician and was fortunate enough to work with David Fincher on Zodiac as essentially like a, you know, assistant DIT. That's cool. And they weren't really DITs at the time. I was the, uh, assistant data capture technician. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but it taught me a lot and I got to work with, you know, the great Harris Savides and um, just, he was a really wonderful man and just got my ass kicked for six months and just learned the hard way about what <laughs> film production is all about. And uh, yeah, so, you know, that was really what kind of started me in, down the path of, of cameras and, and creating images and digital technology. Cause you know, more than a cinematographer, I also have worked deeply with um, a lot of great filmmakers and just creating their digital workflows for, um, you know, most, most notably for uh, like Ang Lee, most recently doing his high frame rate uh, workflows on oh, movies like Gemini Man and Billy Lane, cool. which, you know, were really amazing technological challenges. So, uh, yeah, I just, that's, that's kind of what pulled me into it. And I just keep getting myself in trouble by agreeing to do projects. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did you two meet? What was the, what was the origin of your meeting? Uh, we met when Jessica, I met Jessica as a, when she was directing a short film actually in uh, Los Angeles called illusion. And I was, we met before that. We met before that. We met officially met the very first time um, at a film festival uh-huh. where she was, she was winning best ensemble for her film The Dress, which was which was a really wonderful film. I was invited by um, my sisters, her sisters who <laughs> were crashing at my place and coming in from Los, uh, New York, <laughs> and um, we went to see this this film and um, really enjoyed it. I thought it was just so lively and fun and uh, just had such a really like it just kind of jumped off the screen. I really enjoyed it and, and it was fresh and um, and then, yeah, so that was in, you know, we just, we met there very briefly and then uh, a few months later she came back into town to do another project and um, we were connected and it was like, it know, was a crazy uh, bit visual effects, heavy experimental film called illusion, okay. beautiful little film, but um, my partner, uh, producing partner, Tommy May, she, we didn't, we had no idea really how to do this. <laughs> it, w- it would be my second project directing. And we knew we had to surround ourselves with really smart people to make it possible. So mm-hmm. we went on the hunt. Derek was somebody who came up through my sisters um, as an editor, then as a DP. Um, but we had already had those people on board. Um but when we met him and the way he spoke about the project and his excitement, we were like, we really want to get this guy on board to this project. But um, I was a little resistant. I'm like, well, you, okay, you're the director, you have a producer, you have a cinematographer, you haven't like, what do you want me to do? Like, I, I, you know, and I wasn't just going to like, I actually put him on a hold and, they went, and I, Tommy and I talked and I was like, we have to give him something where he won't get bored. So I came back and I was like, will you be the assistant director? <laughs> yeah, so she asked me to be her AD, which I had never done before. Um, but I had, uh, you know, I had made some of my own projects, and I really respected that position. And I was like, oh, you know what? That'd be fun. Like, let's go be an AD for a few days with, with you know, meet, meet some new people, do a new project. And, mm-hmm. you know, a year later, I was like <laughs> sitting there doing visual effects work on it. and Editing it. And, editing. But he also, that's where he first uh DP'd for me because uh, a lot of the beauty in that film came from our, our second unit, which uh, Derek led. And that's when I discovered the power he had with the camera. Um, mm. Yeah. yeah, Very yeah. cool. Very cool. I always love hearing how people meet like that. And it's so, it's so fascinating how some of the strongest relationships are just, I don't want to say they're accidental, but you just sort of feel like you, you kind of stumble into it. And if you're open 
to meeting people. And if you're open to that situation, you never know who you're going to fucking meet. And, you know, how long are you going to work for? It's pretty interesting stuff. Um, yeah, I kept trying to quit the project, but I just I couldn't. <laughs> I would just say, fine, go. <laughs> I, I would start editing myself. <laughs> uh, so what is, uh, I, like I said, I saw the trailer for uh, Defender and it looks really cool. Where, where did this, I, because I don't know if the audience is going to have seen this. I don't know when this episode is going to drop. I, I don't think it's going to drop for a bit, but I'm sure they'll see the trailer. But let's talk a bit about you know, with this movie without spoiling anything, obviously, but yes, of course, where, you know, where did it come from? Well, the story was conceived, um, initially like five years ago with another partner in our company, um, a journey home film, our partner, Cindy Kitagawa and I had met a real life boxer, mm. female, bo female boxer. Um, and she was so compelling and her story, I just, we couldn't stop thinking about it when we heard it, but she wasn't ready to tell her story. Um, but it inspired us to explore boxing, um, women in boxing and, uh, you know, why someone would do that. Um, and then fast forward years later, we decided to write the script. We wrote a feature version of it. And then um, at the time it was very heavy about, uh, immigration and uh, it was very it was just a really hard political time that we decided we didn't want it to get lost in that world so we put it to the side mm -hmm. um and then fast forward we meet victor <laughs> um and victor's looking for short films and victor is from fuji, fuji film. film yeah yeah fuji we're friends film. with victor we all know yeah. victor's the man yeah know victor knows everybody and Derek <laughs> told me about the possibility possibility of doing a short yep and um, immediately I thought of Defender because Cindy and I had already tossed around short ideas mm -hmm. for it. Um, so then we got to work. Um, and at this point we were more, we were very uh, like where our focus as artists, because we've done a feature together, Cindy, Derek and I, um, we were focused on the idea of like how to, how to capture a cathartic experience through film, which we're still exploring, by the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but we thought the boxer story was very interesting because a lot of women become boxers as part of their healing process to, yeah. to become empowered and to deal with trauma. So we started to explore that. We met a real life boxer um, who grew up not very far from me, Maureen Shea. She's actually was for a long time called the real, real million dollar baby because Hillary Swank, um, you like followed her around to prep for her role. Mm. But even beyond that, uh, Marina's a very interesting story. She, you know, she's a really incredible boxer. Um, she's maintained boxing as a sport and as a, as a livelihood, um, as a coach as well mm -hmm. for the last more than a decade. And her story is empowering. She did use boxing in that way. So she inspired a lot of the story. Um, it, it, it becomes fiction. It's, it's very story. It's fiction. It's not uh, literally following her. But we just explored what it would be like in one match, um, what it would be to conquer your demons. Yeah. Um, and the coach character is very important to the story as well. Mm -hmm. um, that was cast. Uh, we cast Mosolio in that role. Um, she's incredible. <laughs> Um, it's just, yeah, it, it's a fun and fun, challenging, empowering story, um, that Derek agreed to DP. Mm -hmm. 
it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's fascinating because it does take a very specific type of person to be a boxer, to be a fighter, a UFC fighter, like any of that stuff where it's like you're a, it's a, it's a mental challenge, right? Cause you have to go through like physical training and really hard and intense physical training, but then you're also putting yourself in harm's way. And that's part of your job. Like how many times can you get hit in the face? You know? So like, it's, I'm always curious about it. Years ago, we were hired by Vice and we were doing the Fightland stuff. So we spent a lot of time with fighters and the UFC guys. And it's just like, an, it, it's crazy how much of it is folks that are trying to fight sort of demons and inner demons or, or get over some sort of like abuse or something else. And this, this is that process for them. This is that cathartic process of of in, in one strange way, like being a guy who doesn't fight, you, you sort of cringe at it. You know, like I, I it was the same with me as a woman, I was like, well, I mean, I, I see somebody punch somebody else. I'm like, actually like closing my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, to understand the character, I did jump in. I, I mean, this is not like, I didn't do a lot of it, but I did jump in to be trained to see what it feels like to be in the ring, to be, to feel like what it feels like to be, have a trainer, guiding you and there is there you're right it's that discipline it's that focus it's that intentionality you know mm -hmm. of like going in it for that purpose to be empowered and I think you learn a lot about yourself and that you can do more than you ever expected through the process mm -hmm. um, I'm sure it's I mean it's way more complex for for Marine's actual real story like she's 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 an inspiring just follow her on social media and you could, you, you could see, but um, yeah, it's, 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 it's super interesting to me. Like so much so that we're like, let's make, turn it into a feature. Like now from what we've explored in the short, interesting. Um, yeah. there's still, there's still so much more to uncover there. Oh, for sure. Well, and it's a whole genre too, right? I mean, it's very successful. I mean, obviously you yeah. got the Rocky stuff and the Creed stuff, but then there is like a, it's this, it's the purest form of cinema in a certain way, right? Because you have, you know, sort of the hero's journey, which you go on in one way or another, and it could either be physically or could be mentally. And then you're, you know, you have a clear divide on on the contest and who, you know, who we're rooting for and who we're not rooting for. And it becomes like this very, it's a very, I don't want to say it's a basic storyline because it's not. It's just like the purest form, I think, of cinema. It's fascinating to watch on screen. Well, yeah, because immediately you're rooting for someone, right? Right. right. <laughs> you're hoping <laughs> to be rooting for someone because you want the fight to be good. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And and what better way to sort of empathize with a character, seeing a character go through struggle, right? Seeing a character try the hardest to, you know, get over a physical struggle or a mental struggle through this process and get over fear and then learn from that fear. It's it's always, I mean, and then you're talking about all the greats, right? You go, you go back and you look at Raging Bull, you know, you look at all like the, and especially with Raging Bull, did you, did you go back and watch a lot of old uh, boxing movies for inspiration or did you come at it from a different angle? Um, I didn't watch too many uh, boxing movies. I, I did, I, well, I did watch Cinderella Man a few times. Um, Raging <laughs> Bull, I, I, I did visit, visit as well. Um, a lot of it to really study the cinematography of it. Yep. Um, but then I really put my attention on the, on, on the coaches around me to like really help me tell the story. I use a lot of real people to tell this story. Well, yeah, and that it's interesting that you bring up that point, right? And I guess I would do the same thing. It's you, you go and you try to figure out the language that's been established in, in cinema as far as boxing is concerned. Cause there is like 
a language of how it's shot and how it's processed. And, and uh, if you understand that language, you can either use some of those tools or counteract those tools and sort of counteract to audience expectations with that. Um, Derek, were you, were you turning towards old films to find inspiration for stuff or how are you designing uh, looks and sequences? And are you too collaborative when it comes to designing shots and uh, putting things together? Um, yeah, I mean, I, my main focus was the, honestly, the practicality of the space that we had to work with and the, the, you know, challenges of just trying to get it all done in a day. Mm. Right. Um, so I knew that we were going to have to work a certain way and like we had to work really fast mm -hmm. and the, you know, the, the challenge with the boxing, um, is that things move so fast, right? And so you need to just kind of let the action play out inside of the frame as much as possible. Um, and we are also, you know, we wanted to, initially we wanted to to not rely too much on slow motion um, for the boxing or really rely on it at all. We were trying to stay, just kind of like let things feel a little bit more like, almost a little bit more realistic, like a little mm -hmm. bit more like what you'd see on, on in a real fight. Um, so it's, it was going kind of opposite to like some of the cinematic um, expectations, you know, cause we, I, in some ways we've seen all that stuff before. Right. So yeah. like, yeah. you know, how do we get in there and just let things play out? And so my main focus with the, with the lighting was just getting something that could be easily manipulated Um again, quickly. And so everything was, uh, you know, mounted into the ceiling mm -hmm. and we we're using a DMX control board to just slightly alter the, the look. Right. So mm -hmm. depending on like which angle we were, we were lighting. So we kind of lit it 360 in some ways with a little bit of control to just, you know, shape the backlight, you know, make the backlight stronger and the forelight, you know, the front light like dimmer just to kind of manage those contrast ratios like while we were there mm -hmm. and everything we shot, we shot two cameras, which was a little bit of a challenge because of, just the action. Suddenly you'd have this amazing, beautiful shot and there was the other cameraman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's, I mean, I, I think a lot of people don't realize the, how complicated uh, shoots can be when you start doing multiple cameras. And, you know, you mentioned working with Fincher. He's one of those directors that like, I think there was a, there was a special feature on panic room and on panic room on like a panic room, Blu-ray. And they would show, his like five cameras that were all set up and you look at these cameras and his stuff is so calculated. You, you sort of watch yeah. these shots and you know, four of them would seem like throwaways, you know, they just were just sort of angled in a specific place. And you're like, what is he doing with that? And then you'd watch the actor walk through each of those moments and go, Oh my God, there's a Fincher shot. There's a Fincher shot. There's a Fincher shot. So like the, the, the level of uh, detail that's required to do multiple camera stuff. And I think there is a, there's sort of a myth that having multiple cameras makes things go makes things go faster, which you know, in my experience as a director and a cinematographer, I've never really found that to be the case. I think it's a good thing if you're you know doing an, a huge action sequence or there's something that there's an explosion that you can only do once or twice, then it's like yeah. you know get multiple cameras. But it, it ends up being complicated. And agree or disagree with me on this, but it ends up being complicated in my world when you're like trying to at light each of those shots and you're trying to find the best positioning. And I assume just looking at the stills from the production, 
were both cameras mobile? So were both cameras Steadicam, or was one was one uh, no, on sticks? One was Steady, one was on sticks, and a longer on a longer lens. Yeah. Um, you know, ostensibly to pick off details, but ended up you know getting some kind of wide shots, and we got all kinds of coverage. We were bouncing around like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I I kind of agree with you, Mike. I mean, I don't like. I'm I'm happy we did it the way we did it, but you know by the end I was like, I would have been, I think it's so satiating to have like one camera and just focus on that one shot, Um, (laughs) you know, but you know, we, I'm grateful we had the team and that Fujifilm provided the cameras. Um, the cameras look so great. Yeah. That (laughs) was certainly, that's always like a plus. (laughs) It was one, it was one of the things that really drew me into this project too, was just the, the opportunity to, um, cause I had never worked with these cameras in like a cinema capacity. Right. 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 right? And you know, it was, it was from the early tests we started to do, I realized like, Oh, there's something, you know, there's something here and this is going to, I was just excited by what we could do with that size of a camera. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I do is I put a giant lens on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because well, your primary was what the GFX 100s. Is that what you guys were shooting with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the with the Premista lenses. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So you know, most of the stuff in the city cam was the mid range one. So that was like a forty five to ninety. I don't have these. Off the top of my head, so forgive me. No worries. But yeah, I mean, really we don't have to get super techy, but it's still fascinating because yeah. the GFX is like that's a large format ship, right? Isn't that a bigger format ship than this? Than the oh, yeah. Uh, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. So which is something that we just we we like. I mean, on our last feature, we filmed on the the uh, we're fortunate enough to film on the Alexa sixty five. Mm-hmm. Um, so we like that big ship. Yeah, well, it was something that you know Jessica brought to me on that project and. Um, was like, hey, you know, I love the way that, I mean, really, I was like, I love the way the master looks in these the cinematography in these spaces. Like, how do we, yeah. how do we do that? I was like, well, that was 65 millimeter film. So, you know, let's, <laughs> let's start, let's think about a big chip. And then, you know, we, we went down that road and it, uh, it does, I, you know, it's, it's subtle, but it's like, for, for, for me, my, my approach is if you can get the tech, the tech to work, uh, consistently, mm-hmm. right? Where you, like, if you have good lenses and you have a good sensor and you don't have the time to just like craft every lighting setup perfectly, like that's, you're, you've won the game, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, cause yeah, you yeah. can, otherwise, like if you're, if you do the opposite and you're like, okay, well, you know, I don't have the best lenses, but I'm going to just like, you can make beautiful shots, right? You can light things perfectly, but it's just, I always find that when you, you're, you're, you're setting yourself up for success. If you have, you know, large sensors, good lenses, you know, good um, color depth and stuff like that. So that was, that was the approach. And um, for sure, no, I love I, that big sensor. It, you know, it, it renders depth, renders faces so nice. And Yeah, man. I mean, we, I just shot a piece uh, a couple months ago and we were using the, um, the Alexa, which one were we using? Was it the LF? I think it was the, like LF. the LF. Yeah. Yeah. We're using the LF. Um, and it's beautiful, same reason. And like our stuff, I'm very focused on, uh, you know, doing like very detailed sort of lighting and all that, but you're right. Having that, that large format ship, cause we were doing stuff, uh, anamorphic. So we were shooting, what were we shooting with? We were shooting with the fucking, um, oh, the Atlas lenses and, uh, just yeah, the, the, amazing. And just the, 
the wider format that I got on the LF, I literally got probably 200 pixels wider on all of the uh, the large on the anamorphic stuff. And I'm like, Jesus, like I actually saw more shoulder and everything. It's beautiful as far as like close ups and stuff. When you start when you're shooting in the large format stuff, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Not yeah. to mention the shallow depth of field and everything else that you get from it. It's really gorgeous. Really cool. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. So, you know, and and having that large sensor for, for us in the what, what was fun about the way that we ended up building these cameras was the GFX is, is still, a, you know, DSLR form factor, right? So it's a smaller camera yep. Yep. when the permissives are nice, compact zooms. And so it became a very manageable handheld camera. Like we put it on the Steadicam, no problem. Yep. Um, and it just, it was really fast to, to run around. And I liked having, I was, you know, I typically like to shoot on primes, you know, just because they're sharper and they usually are prettier, but... Mm-hmm. These lenses are just gorgeous. The Premier says, and I mean, really, kind of changed changed my opinion a bit on on zooms. I um, I think zooms are very underappreciated, and you yeah. know, maybe it's just my love of seventy cinema. You know, like my love yeah, of like yeah. old Coppola and the conversation, and I think zooms are are phenomenal, and especially if you're if you're using a zoom as a zoom. And you're you're adding that if you're doing dolly and zoom, or if you're doing Steadicam and zoom, it's just that that feature itself has the ability to fixate an audience on a specific detail, which is wonderful, but also uh, put you in a in a character's mindset. It's a tool that I think got a lot of disrespect for years, and then uh, I I love pulling it out. I love having that as a toolbox, and not to mention it, it sounds like uh, you guys were dealing with a pretty intense shooting day, and so having oh. the ability to reframe immediately must have yes. must have been great. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I'm one of those who was very resistant to zoom lenses. Um, but then, I don't know, Derek convinced me otherwise. Um, <laughs> and you're right. It helps you really get it, get into that the character's experience, especially at a cra- on a crazy shooting day. Yeah. 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 I mean, so basically, you know, we had, there's the, the boxing thing was really the, the, core shooting location that we had to deal with, but that had like all the extras and that had, you know, the, we had to get the location, which was, you know, a real gym, not too far from where we live. And, uh, and like Jessica said, you know, earlier, we use a lot of real people. So um, the, the owner of the gym is the, you know, the rep. He's the rep, but it turns out he was an actor. So where was the gym? Where'd you guys film? It's called be first boxing, boxing. and peak skill. Peekskill, um, New York. New York. York. That's right, right, right. Okay. And so this is something interesting that I think uh, a lot of people take for granted. It's incredibly difficult to shoot in locations here in Los Angeles because out here, everybody's like money hungry. So <laughs> you yeah. even come in with, uh, you know, like a, a multi-tool on your belt. They examine that and suddenly the place is like $3,000 for you to even yeah. step in there. Did you guys find that it was easier to shoot uh, in a, like a suburb of, of New York than it would be? Here? Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, we had, we had uh, our feature was shot in upstate California and there was a small community that was helpful, but uh, like the amount of support we got here was just beyond what I could even ask for. Yeah. And I think involving, that's a plus about like really involving like, people really like are passionate about boxing or passionate about their community 
is they're 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 more giving. They're they're excited about the project. They're standing for the project with you. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 I mean, so my roots. I don't know if you guys know my history, but I started as a director out of Boston. So for twenty uh, something years, I was doing most of my stuff out of that city, and it was a wonderful place to shoot because you know you walk into a spot and you know they don't know much about any of it and they just excited to help i don't know how many places that would just donate materials or donate time like we for 12 cam my short you know the guy that owned the location gave me the location for a month and he's like just it's yours wow (laughs) like you can use it for a month and build the sets in here and do whatever you want and so it you don't get that kind Mm -hmm. of support and love when you're in the larger cities and uh no you don't at all yeah yeah and so no but everybody go to your small towns go to your hometowns and shoot shoot there like it's it's actually really exciting too to just get to know those small communities i mean i was it was, it was one it's just i don't know if it's it, we were inspired by a lot of different filmmakers who've done this kind of stuff in the past like i, I always think a piece of um, Southern Wild, you know, the stories around that, that film and how they shot that down in, in North and, uh, Louisiana. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Jessica and I, when we made Coast, which was our feature before this, you know, we, we lived in Santa Maria, California for months and got to know the community and just really took it in. And um, mm. I found that to be really a, a really rewarding way to, to, to create. And, you know, there's elements of that with this project as well, mm-hmm. just in our, our community here. Um, well, I think it's, a, I think it's important to talk about, cause one of the things that I'm always getting on this show, you know, because a lot of young filmmakers, a lot of people, and there are all these sort of myths that exist, right? So there's a myth that it's like, Hey, look, if I get a manager or an agent, my life's going to change. There's a huge myth. Uh, there's also, uh, the myth on like, I, do I need to be living in one of the larger cities? Do I need to be in New York? Do I need to be in Los Angeles in order to, to make movies? And so. I, what I, I'm constantly telling folks, it's like, if you're learning how to make movies, if you're going to be making the stuff that you want to showcase, and that's going to define who you are as a director or creator or cinematographer, then make movies in your hometown, make movies in the places that you live in, because you're going to get so much more access. And chances are, you know, with all the tax incentives that are kicking all over the place, you'll probably get a good deal on everything as well. Um, and really, you don't necessarily need to be out here until you're in the process of hunting for money, really, you know, and trying to get contacts and stuff. So, 100%. And in the indie film, you don't even get the money in the big city. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Very true. Theory, I do believe this is true that I actually think those are the stories that the audiences want, want to see, are the ones from the, you know, there's, there's yeah, like there's, the, the the nuances of of like just I don't know the world, you know, like where you're from, like where yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's nothing better than you know we're working on a feature right now, and I I want nothing more than to go embed myself in Middle America somewhere and and just have the difference between shooting that here and there is that here I have to spend a hell of a lot of money and time and energy to try to put those accidental details in the backgrounds, in the production design, in all that stuff. But if you go to a place that already has that stuff going for you, you're in great shape. You're in great shape. And the surprises and the accidents that you find when you're shooting in those spots are, are fucking priceless for the shoot. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would, 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how my filmmaking would change if I suddenly was like on a studio because most of my films have been practical locations, you know, and I always somehow involve real people, <laughs> like not not actors. But there is a beauty to working with the actor that I actually, you know, it's you don't want to lose. <laughs> Okay, it's time to take a break. It's time to talk about the gear. It's time to talk about the equipment. And yes, let's, let's point out the elephant in the room. This is a Fujifilm creator episode. So Fujifilm is a sponsor of the show. So we're going to talk about some Fujifilm products, not just because they sponsor the show, but because I use it. I use their stuff. I like their stuff. They're really great. So uh, what we don't really get into on this show, which I should talk a bit about is that uh, both Jessica and Derek, on their film, they did use Fujifilm cameras. So they shot it with a Fujifilm GFX100S, which is interesting because I haven't I haven't shot video stuff with that. I wonder what the frame rate was. I forgot to ask them that. That's interesting. But that GFX100S is a large format ship, which is super cool. Very cool. So that means you get to mount large format lenses on there. You get the shallow depth of field. All sorts of great stuff. And then their second shooter was the Fujifilm X-H2S. It's a great second camera. Many of the people that have done these Fujifilms have shot that is their main camera. And the stuff looks gorgeous. I've used it. Gina uses it all the time. So we've done a bunch of music videos, a bunch of commercials with the X-H2S. It's a great rig. And what's very exciting is that Fujifilm is sort of at the forefront of this camera-to-cloud tech so when you're shooting, you can uh, actually upload your clips immediately to Frame.io, which you can then integrate into your edit suite. So like if you're using Premiere, I, I did it for commercial. If you're using Premiere, it just dumps right in. Fucking amazing to be in the edit room and see bins, like clips showing up in bins. So cool. It's very cool. And to be in that situation as a director editor with my second unit out there shooting, I can go, guys, can you give me another shot of that? sunset and stop shaking the camera so much <laughs> you know what i mean and then that clip shows up when they're done really cool stuff it's the future of filmmaking camera to cloud so fujifilm is sort of at the advance at the forefront of this you're going to hear a lot of interesting news from them as the year progresses so make sure to check it out if you want to learn more click the fujifilm links in the description of this episode so whatever podcast uh provider that you're using if it's like spotify if it's Apple Podcasts, in the description of this episode, there are clicked links. There are links there that are trackable links. They'll know I sent you. Click them. Or click the links at inlovewiththeprocess.com. Okay? Also supporting the show, if you, let's say that you buy yourself a Fujifilm camera and you have a whole lot of Nikon lenses, and you're like, well, what do I do with these? Do I have to buy a whole other set of lenses? No. You can get a lens adapter to adapt those lenses to fit your Fujifilm camera. Go check out the folks at Photodiox, F-O-T-O-D-I-O-X, Photodiox. Link is in the description of the episode. You see the theme here? Uh, go check them out and uh, get an adapter, man. I love them. We have been adapting all of my sweet, sweet old school lenses 
to my Fujifilm camera, Jean has been adapting her old Mamiya lenses to her GFX. And Jesus, those look amazing on large format chips. So uh, it's it's a really cool thing, man. And they're very inexpensive. It's like under 200 bucks for some of them. And some of those adapters actually come in the adapter with ND. So if you're shooting outside and you really want that shallow depth of field, you have three or four steps of ND in the adapter itself. So now you're not having to throw a matte box and ND filters on. You know what I'm saying? Really cool stuff. Photo Deox, check them out. Now, let's say you got the adapter for a PL mount and you want to use a super sweet cinema lens. You want to use the same lenses that they shot Dune with. Um, the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you have a solid relationship with your rental company. And Derek talks about coming from a lineage of folks that work in rental companies, right? These people are so well-trained and well-informed on how gear works and what you would need for stuff. If something breaks down and you're using a local rental company, oftentimes they'll drive you out a replacement part. It's the coolest thing. Where are you shooting? What town are you in? What's the local rental company that you have a relationship with? They're all over the place. I've got relationships all over the country with rental places. And here in Los Angeles, the place I go to is Boca Rentals. Boca is the one-stop shop here in LA for some of the best lenses in the market for all of your camera needs, for all your camera support needs. Um, they have the Snorri Cam rig here for those nerds out there that know what that means, which is super cool. Um, check them out. Go to BocaRentals.com or go Boca Rentals on Instagram and just look at what they have. And I am a huge fan of any listener of the show that while checking out gear at Boca, they send me photographs and they go, check out where I am, dude. I love that. Do it. I love, dude. Do you see a fucking theme here? I love it when we engage. I, you had to write to me to tell me your three favorite horror movies because I just want to talk to you. I'm like that lonely guy in the corner behind a microphone. Just going like, is anybody listening? <laughs> Uh, also supporting the show are our good friends over at Puget Systems. Now, I, I'm recording this episode on the 27th of July. I don't know when it's going to drop. It may not drop until September, but I'm supposed to hang out with the Puget Boys in a few weeks. I'm pumped. They're coming out here to Los Angeles. I get excited to hang out with these guys. I think we're going to do a couple special episodes. They may have already come out. I don't know. But if you're in the market for a new computer, a brand new edit machine, Go to PugetSystems.com and build yourself a monster PC. There you could choose a computer based upon the software you use. If you're someone that is running a post-production house, right? Or maybe it's just a bunch of friends that all got together and started their own post-production house. And those computers that you've been using for a while are now being outdated. And you're like, guys, we all need computers that could talk to each other. Look at Puget Systems. They're affordable. They're upgradable. And most importantly, they have human beings as their tech support. That's the most important thing. They know who you are. When you buy a computer, they send you out a folder with the names of each and every person that has put a component in that computer. You meet each and every person. I love the little pamphlets. They have like, they sh they like shoot it with heat, heat vision, like predator vision, so you can see where all the heat is distributed. They're super quiet cases, very quiet machine. You just hear the AC in the background. You can't hear the Puget system that's running in front of me. It's crazy, man really great computers if you're in the market for a solid machine build yourself a pc go to pugetsystems.com it'll change the way you work man i'm telling you all right finally if uh, you're a newcomer to the show 
and you're like, where do I find all these episodes? I look, it's almost 300 something episodes on the queue. I just want to listen to all the directors. Go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. I've curated all the episodes based upon subject material. All right, super easy for you to do. Inlovewiththeprocess.com is also a place to learn more about our sponsors. It is also the place to go uh, if you want really good supplemental material for the episode that you're currently listening to. So if you want to see behind the scenes photos, if you want to see trailers, I spend the hard process of putting these pages together. Go check them out. Loveoftheprocess.com. Let's get back to the show. So here's the thing. And this is an interesting little side bit that we can go down. Jessica, it, like the the art of a director really is in preparation, right? It's really in doing your homework. It's really in understanding things. But it's also in being able to communicate and be empathetic with individuals. And you bring up a good point. I've done it as well, where you're working with actors that are trained and they have a system and a process that they use to find their character and to find their work. And then working with folks that have never been in front of the camera before and almost sort of guiding them through this roller coaster ride of insanity <laughs> that could sometimes be a set. So do you what what is your process when you're working with someone that's never been on camera before? Oh, that's that's a I don't feel I don't know if it stays the same, but it definitely is different when from working with an actor than with a person who's never acted before in the sense that when you show up with the actor, there's like an agreement already mm. forged. Like we're going to do whatever it takes to go as deep as possible to, to bring out this character. Mm. Um, when you work with somebody who has not done it before, there's more, there's a lot more sensitivity involved. It's like, you don't, you, you have to like sort of coach them through that, finding that agreement, Yeah, <laughs> you know, right, like, right. They, they don't know what it feels like to, to just know that sometimes just being and living in your in your honest stakes is enough so that often takes a little more coaching mm -hmm. but then there's also something about like the authenticity of the person and probably the most the reason you brought that person on that sometimes actors can never bring because right. it's just living in that person yeah so just creating stakes to allow that person to show up as, as, themselves. as themselves yeah mm -hmm. um it's a very, yeah, you're right. It's a very different process, right? Like you're, you're wanting them to strip away their fear and their anxiety and what they think acting should be to just be who they are and just say the lines or just be there and be yep. present. versus like an actor who you're like, okay, you need to travel like 10,000 miles from where you started to where you need to be <laughs> with this character. And you know, if you get a good actor, like they can do it and they love it and that's yeah. why they're doing it, you know? And that's, it's, a, it's just a different process entirely. Yeah. I find that it's the same thing. Like when I'm dealing with them, it's just a, a completely different way of, of communicating and talking with them. And, yeah. and you're right. Like there, I think this is the truth with casting in general. Like at least I find that when I'm finding actors and I'm finding someone that I think works, I usually spot it, whether it's a casting session or if it's just meeting somebody, I usually spot it in the first two minutes. Like there is like the general fascination that I have with whoever this person is. And, mm. and, and immediately when I, when I find it, I'm like also sort of falling in love with this person. I'm sort of falling down this path of like, I like the way their face looks in the light. I like the way that their body moves. And I like, I, I'm really fascinated with how they do this stuff. I want to watch this person for like an hour and change, you know? 
And then, you, you know, when you're doing a casting session, you're just crossing your fingers and hoping that they have the fucking tools, you know, yeah. to get to get through. <laughs> the rest of the time, you're like throwing them curveballs, like, how do you handle this? What do you do that? And you're like, please, please handle it. <laughs> you know. And then they yeah. go through the process of either disappointing you or, or you, like, I, there's nothing more exciting and euphoric than walking out of a casting session and just meeting. It's like going on a first date with someone and meeting them. And just being absolutely infatuated with them, um, it I, I, like I feel like that kind of happens in real life when you're dealing with actual folks too. Like you see someone, you go, "Oh, you look really fucking cool. You'd be a really cool character on this set." And, and what you're trying, at least what I'm trying to do when I'm handling those folks, is sort of I don't want to say like conf I'm not trying to trick them, but I'm I'm just trying to in the, trying to stay in this mode of like, don't do anything, <laughs> don't think about anything. And when you're yeah. on when you're on camera, all I need you to do, you're a paramedic. Pretend like you have to put bandages. Just put bandages on this guy. Just go put bandages on this guy. Exactly. I mean, the don't think, don't think about it is like huge. Yeah. But sometimes you do have to. I don't want to say trick, but sometimes you have to like trip them out of what their 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 yes. thought process. You yes. know. Yes. And you can call that manipulation. You can call it, you know. <laughs> well, <but laughs> we also then have the, uh, you know, the added challenge on this short. To speaking of casting, of well, the two topics that we interested to talk about. One is we had to cast three different ages oh. for our lead, right? And that was its own challenge. But then the other thing was one of them was nine years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And but that was a that was a huge lesson for me to be honest because I feel like I was so terrified because what the what the nine year old goes through is something really hard in the story. Yeah, and I was really scared to put the nine year. I was like, I don't want to hurt this nine year old. <laughs> like, I, like, don't do anything that'll be hurtful to this nine year old. So I kind of was like tiptoeing around it for a while. And then I, then eventually I had started to have like real adult conversations with this nine year old. Yep. And it was like, suddenly she showed up as a, like a never acted her, but as a real actor ready to play. <laughs> and she would go to this, like she would get to the place essentially almost quicker than all of the adults because it, it was just, there was like a purity yes. about her, yeah. you know? Yeah. Which was fun, um, but they, they pumpkin quick. <laughs> Which is, I learned on that. <laughs> well, yes. work, working with kids is a is definitely an interesting challenge. I spent years doing that with uh, commercial work, and I have a few kids that I've had in a couple of my pieces. And in the beginning, it's you know you the the the, the, the fucking rule of thumb. Something that you'll hear from any producer is like, please don't put dogs in your movie and don't put kids in your movie. Cause it's, yeah. you know, it's a fucking nightmare and you go, ah, and so then that's always running through your head. And I have seen, uh, we did a, I did a commercial years ago that essentially was a little girl on her bike and she gets on her bike and rides through this neighborhood. And as she rides through this neighborhood, she progresses in age. So she starts like super young, wow. like five years old. And then by the end of the commercial, she's in her twenties or something. And the casting for that, I, I I kept saying to the people, I'm like, how the fuck are we going to do this? And we were we were doing this in Boston, so it's a whole different market for for cast on the East Coast than there is out here. Yeah. And I said to them, like, how are we going to do this? And the producers like, you'll be surprised. And it blew my mind <laughs> how many families are almost like <laughs> the parents almost grow kids for the movie business, and so like we had this lineup of families that had every age 
And there, it was like, <laughs> you know, uh, there was nine kids in the family, seven kids in the family, and they just had the whole age range. And I was like, how, other than pre-planning this <laughs> and being really bored as a couple, like how, how do you have so many kids and how many, so many options? It was mind blowing. That's amazing. <laughs> how many of the kids did you cast? <laughs> well, what we did is we, we, we got extras because then it was like, it was a deal. Like it was, I go in there and I go, we'll, we'll throw them all in for like a flat rate of this. And you're like, what? <laughs> we actually had an opposite happen for our feature film. We were looking for kids and we were auditioning so many kids. And one, there was a, a family that came in similar. I think they only had three kids before. Yeah. Um, but the dad was so compelling. Like I am somebody who I am like you, where I'm like suddenly like becoming obsessed with the uh, the person, this person in the room. He's in the movie. <laughs> He's in our movie. He's probably that was probably his his mode the whole time. He's probably <laughs> wanted to be an actor. He's like, I get these kids and I'll get in the screen yeah, test. They tricked me. <laughs> yeah, that was the move. Yeah, and I, I laugh. Mean, that, I laugh. That's really funny, but actually, like no, like he was. We, he was like, what? He was, <laughs> surprised but he did sort of get a glimmer when it was like you want you know you didn't agree to do it and then he was terrified on set yeah but did a great did a great job um, so. yeah i i always feel i don't know if you feel the same way but whenever i was just talking about this last night because i was hanging out with one of my uh actresses that i haven't seen in a long time and i always feel that when i finally get someone in front of the camera and i finally get someone um you know, on screen, I, we spend so much time with these people, a on set, but then in post-production. And then when you're, <laughs> when you're promoting them and they, you know, there is a point where you're like, you're video editing or you're color grading and you're like calling them up going, you've got a mole on your left cheek that you might want to fucking go get checked out, you know, <laughs> like, cause you just spent so much time examining them. And then when I see them later, it's almost like seeing a, a, a kid or a child <laughs> that went off to college, you know? And you're just like, yeah. you know, how's your life? Do you guys, do you feel that sense of connection to the people in, in front of the camera? Absolutely. Yes. And yeah. well, I mean, for our, the feature we did, um, we had teenagers grow up right in front of us. So that made it even more like heightened it. Oh, yeah. And I think they got to a point where they were like, all right, mom and dad, you're so dorky. Like, <laughs> just, you're not cool. <laughs> <laughs> they're going off to college we love the film experience but we're over it <laughs> and we're like still into that <laughs> yeah it's it's wild man it's wild the connection that it takes you know in order to be you know someone that has to tell a story about a character and you like i feel as a storyteller you have to you have to be so immersed and it has to be such a personal thing for you um, and the process can be very bipolar, you know, it could be yes. <laughs> like very uh, rewarding, but also just very destructive. Um, and it's, uh, there's a reason why I'm in therapy because of the business, <laughs> you know, and yes. I don't know if you guys feel the same way. <laughs> this is probably going to turn into a therapy. Yeah. therapy. <laughs> I mean, like when you're young and you're yes. like in theater, you're told like, you have to love this to do this. And this yeah. is theater, not even crossing over to the Hollywood line into yeah. film business. And it's like, it's true. It's like, you know, how many times I've just been like, why can't I give myself a normal life? Just yeah. like go do something else. But I think when you fall in love with it, you fall in love with it. You know, it's just, yeah. it's hard to it's, let yeah. it go. 
Um, yeah, I mean, there's something I'm always a little bit. I don't know, like as a there was a little envious of musicians in a way, like. I mean, and like, it's really hard to be a musician. Like, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. The industry, if I can't even imagine trying to make a living doing that. It's insanity. But there's something to be said about being able to, like, you know, write a song or pick up and play, you know, mm-hmm. play a game, play, play an instrument. And just be able to express yourself as a filmmaker is sometimes so challenging because... So many people are involved. Yeah, it's such yeah. a big <laughs> endeavor, you know. You got to get get the gear and you got to get the people, get the script, get, you got to rally the troops and go out there and, like, make this thing and... Yeah, um, yeah, and you can like you know it's it's super exciting and super cool when you can when you do it and it's very rewarding and it, you know and you can there are like different degrees of it you can you can do it on your iPhone and with your friends and you can do stuff but sure it's sure. Just, like it, it is a very complicated art form. Well, <laughs> let's, I think let's be like real. you know there's bipolar in the sense of like that's the way it becomes for us individually but it's like imagine like all of the people you're asking to show up and stay, stay true to the intention, yeah. but also have their own brain going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so then, I, I mean, yeah. and, and then everybody has their own sense of like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like, there's, <laughs> there's like little steps of trauma along the way for each and every person that decides to go into this business. And Derek, yeah. when you, when you were sitting there and you're like, offhandedly saying like you gotta go grab the cases you gotta get the gear like there, there's also a sense of trauma that i have with specific to like grabbing the fucking cases it's just like <laughs> oh i gotta go get those things and put them in the fucking my back is killing me because I, you know it's so like there are so many steps the longer i feel like i'm in this business the more sort of like trauma triggers <laughs> are all over the place and and when we're trying to inspire crew and people that are around us they all have their own little trauma triggers too, you know, where it's just like, I I, I didn't get an email the right way or what are we having for fucking lunch? And, and so like a big part of our job is sort of identifying all those things and then being empathetic and understanding with all those folks around you and rest assuring like, Hey, look, I know that this is triggering you, but I'm different. And what we're doing here isn't that real shit show that you came from the last time that really ruined your whole attitude and process for this like it, it can be something new and different here man um I, I feel like that's often one of the biggest challenges especially working in one of the smaller towns where you know those crews oftentimes will get beat to shit from out of town uh producers and stuff like that so oh uh, yeah I, do you feel like you're constantly cheerleading well, that, that was really well said to get people actually to do stuff? The, the part of and i'm gonna save that for my own toolkit is like reminding people that this is not, you know, this is not what you went through last time. This is new, you know, this, and this could be something different. Um, I think that's, that's important for me to hear. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's it's true. It's true. I mean, I had, all right, look, I did, I did a movie. So I did my movie 12 KM and I, I had this amazing crew. I brought together this talented team of folks from the years of doing commercials and music videos and all these really talented, wonderful people. And we did something magical. We created 1980s Russia in this small, like, suburb podunk town outside of Boston and made this magical fucking movie. Um, And everybody walked off that film high. Like, you just walk off that movie. I did. You walk off and you go, for some reason, everything fucking worked. And it was amazing. And, and the teams and the connections and the groups that were made from crew that had never known each other prior are now still working together, you know, 10 years later or whatever it's been. So the 
that level of creativity and inspiration just sort of came out of a really great working experience. I got called a month later by a producer who I didn't know, and they called me up because they heard that I had done something in that city, and they said, hey, can you introduce us to your crew? Can you introduce us to the people that you worked with? And I said, yes, under one caveat. Don't fuck them. Like, don't, don't beat them down, man, because yeah. – they're in a great place. They're all really in a, in a solid spot. And so this team went and they worked on this movie and that producer and that team just destroyed them, ran them through the mud. There was like horrible food things and food poisoning and all sorts of terrible scheduling and unsafe sets and everything else. And so then when I went back to work with that crew again and bring them back onto my stuff, they were changed. Like they were completely changed by that really terrible situation. And it took me a, a few days to just go, guys, this is, this is us. This isn't that. This is us. This is new. This is something different. This is important. And once they found that, it's almost like, you know, bringing in a, um, a rescue dog. You know what I mean? Like once they, yeah. once they find out that it's safe, then they're like, oh, cool. I can be creative. And you're like, yes, that's why you're here. That's why you're here, man. And I, I don't know. I don't know how I ended up on this tangent, but I, I've never talked about it on the show. And I think it's important to talk about it on the show because, you know, the, this business instills a lot of trauma into each and every one of us. And It really does. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm hearing this and it's like a breath of fresh air, to be honest, because one of the things that I, on, on, the, on the film we just did, Defender, is everyone kept thanking me saying, you're so collaborative. Um and that was so great for them. Like they felt so good about that. Yeah. And there's like a little bit of an insecurity with me. Like, oh, Jess, are you being too collaborative? Like, are you doing that thing again? And whoa, whoa, what, what, what does that what does that mean? Let me cut in here. What does that mean? Being too collaborative. What was what was like, that? Uh, meaning, are you like being? Are you are you showing weakness? You know. Oh, see, and no. Because no. when you first, somebody else make yeah, the decision for you. When you when you when you first start showing up as a director, I remember a lot of people like, you know, try, especially as a woman trying to guide me to be like, very like, you know, keep a bubble around you. No. Don't you mean like, don't let other people make your decisions. Well, first of all, I don't think I'm somebody who is really good at letting other people make decisions for them to begin with. <laughs> but it's also, but it's also like, I, I want to hear people. I would like, I want, you know, I want like that's I feel like that's important. I think that's really important to everyone who shows up for you is well, they want to be a part of. Yeah. Well, it's nice to hear you like really sort of reveal that because that's a that's a real fucking thing. And I yeah. think that I think that there is a misconception out there that directors are geniuses, that directors have all the fucking answers and that directors, uh, you know, wake up one fucking day. And they go, I have a, I have a movie in my head and I just need a bunch of bodies to move it around. Like it's, that's not the case. And I, I think yeah. I learned this lesson very early on when I started directing. Um, and I learned that my idea might be a cool way to start. It might be a good spark. And if I just did my idea, then it would be one dimensional. It'd be completely fucking boring. And probably misinformed because it, it's probably some hashed out idea that I had when I saw something from the outside, not even the inside of how yeah. something works. And so it's so important to be able to leave yourself open 
to collaboration. And I firmly believe that all our, our work as directors is all done in prep. So we're always putting together our prep and putting together our questions and doing our actors prep and our crew prep and having as many inspirational things as possible to sort of inspire and guide the conversation that is the film. If you're going to fucking walk into a room and have a conversation with someone and go, I'm in charge and my voice is the voice. <laughs> it's not a conversation. You're a dictator at that point. Yes. I wasn't very good at trying that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, that whoever was giving you that advice about being in a bubble, that's fear-based. That's a, yes, that's fear-based advice. You know, and I think that's yeah, but there, that's that trauma you were talking about. Like suddenly, it's like that's traumatic. Who wants to direct that way? It's like, Ugh. You know? <laughs> it, obviously, it just triggered me. <laughs> like, like, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, to get that advice, I'd be like, get out of here, man. Like, I'm sure your intentions are good, but get out of here. Like, I think, yeah, I do think intentions were good, but they, they, you know, they were misguided themselves. Yeah. You know, yeah, they had an idea. And you don't really know if these ideas are real unless you're actually like in it and doing it, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's also the, I think you, I think it's important that you don't only cast your cast, but you're also casting your team. You're, yes. ca you're casting the people around you and it isn't necessarily, sometimes it's as simple, especially if you're doing commercial work. It's like, all right, well, this guy's got a red camera. You know, so like, let's hire him. You're like, what does that come with? That's literally like a rental truck on legs. Like, what am, what am I going to be dealing with as far as like emotions? And yeah, I have no idea who this individual is. Like, you have to cast people around you that like to have a conversation. Yeah, that, from all the way pre-production, all the way. Well, actually starts with the writer, but then all yeah. the way through the editing room, yeah. which is essential too. Yeah, and you yeah. have you have to be able to beyond. I mean, that's that's the other piece of it that is going to be a little different for you know Defender as a short film, but just that you know that when you're done editing, you deliver like the life of the film beyond that, and mm -hmm. you know that's that was a whole piece of it when we made Coast, our feature that just was. Uh, a lot of new stuff and you're like, Oh yeah. <laughs> Marketing and, yeah. and how do we do this? And how do you publicity? And, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. How to, I don't know how to do any of this because <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. It, it, there's, it's a huge fucking thing. And I know it's like an overused statement, but it's, it's a hurdle to make a movie and there are so many different angles to it. And, and so many different things that as individuals that we have to learn, and oftentimes kind of have to bullshit our way into and go like, you know, fake it till you make it. And you're like, ah, I think, I think I know how to do this stuff. And, and then learn through mistakes and learn through trial and error. Um, because there's no formula for, I mean, there's, there's, you know, block light shoot, but there's no real formula for how to make a movie successful, how to make a good movie. Yeah. And if you start to think there is, that's when you're like, I think that's when you start to like get fail yourself actually or yeah. you know what i mean like yeah yeah same with making a movie or uh, for me like i i always feel like i almost i almost like start like a baby every single project <laughs> cuz i'm like i forget everything i knew before mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, you've always been good at like knowing how to bring the question at the forefront like i feel like i learned that from you cuz i think I, I came in and this is where like you know i came up through you know working with my, my formative like 
experience in film was with you know Fincher and crazy. seeing how how that that how he worked and thinking that's how you work right and it's like it was it was like it was weird because it was these it was the same illusion that you get from the outside of like oh the director is the genius except I'm there and it's kind of like yeah it's the same thing like the director is the genius. And I kept trying to get in his head and get in his head. And I was like, this is impossible. You're just like, he's in his head. He's doing his thing. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's him. And the rest of it around it is like a machine. And we all play our part to it. And, but then like coming out of that whole experience, um, I don't know. I, I, I felt like... Y- I, I kind of a little bit of a controlling person to begin with. So like, <laughs> I, I felt like, you know, even behind the camera or... You know, I've got I've directed some shorts myself, and you needed to have everything planned out and everything, and you know, in your head, and and get to get it out. And it was really when we started working more with with Jessica that I understood the power of the question, mm-hmm. you know, and that that actually creates energy more so than like kind of stifle energy. And um, can you give a can you give a specific example of that? Um. Hmm. Don't, don't embarrass me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a, <laughs> oh, that's a good question. It's a, it's a little bit abstract, but you know what I mean? It's like, I think it's just. Not to put you on the spot, but that's. No, I'm trying to think of something good. I mean. It could be something bad. No, no. I'm just trying to think of something. <laughs> I, I just am imagining like with our characters, instead of it being like coming into a scene and being like, all right, so, you know, this is a scene where, you know, like what our film, like where Abby really, you know, is, is upset about like mm-hmm. sing with Dave, you know, like Dave betrayed her and he, she finds this thing out and it's, um, but it's really like, well, why, you know, like, why does she care? You know, like going in with mm-hmm. like, just think about these questions. I, I, it's really not a good example. But I mean, I think, I, I think, so this is something I actually learned um, studying as an actor at the Actors Center in uh, mm-hmm. New York City, and we were doing. We I, I fell in love with clown work, physical comedy clown work, not red. Well, we did do Red Nose, but it, it wasn't like birthday party clown. Huh. Um, but staying staying present to what's in front of you is super important, I think, to the art form. Mm-hmm. Um, well, following all that prep, but stay, keeping the question alive. And I discovered it watching a scene of like I think it was Hamlet and Gertrude, and I think. Him, I think it was the actors first came in like pretty clear about what their actions were, their decision, the decisions they were making, like how they were going to play each moment. And I watched the clown teacher <laughs> like sort of st- strip them away of all of that. Like they did the work. It was already in them. And then giving them the question to take to one another. And the, the scene became so alive mm-hmm. that I, fell in love with that that i always like tried to bring that to whatever i'm working with yeah it's not it's not easy especially when the stakes are high and you gotta yeah a lot of ground and it's kind of it is sort of antithetical you know antithetical to like the way that you're trying to to approach film where it's like everything is so controlled and so precise Mm -hmm. you do this angle and you do that angle and it's like you can find different ways to to approach it but i i know that like you know if i'm trying to figure out blocking for for a scene i mean the reality of being on set is always, unless you have everything absolutely in your control, it's like yeah. you're 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 working around like the the, the 
problems in the sense that your problem, you know, you're solving things all the time. Yep. And really like there is, it, it's, it, there is always a question of like, okay, where's, where's the right sh- position for this shot? You know, like what is the story that I'm trying to tell, you know, and then, and looking for it. And then as you look for it, then you find it, yeah. you know, Oh, this is it. And then you recognize it. And it has a feeling of like an answer. And if you can capture that, whether it's, how you position the camera or how you did the blocking or, you know, if the actors can bring that to like how they respond to a comment by, you know, their, you know, the other actor in a scene, those are the things that generate, that generate energy instead of just like getting to the result and like, yeah, I, I got the answer, right. Aren't I a good student? Like, no, like nobody gives a shit about that. Yeah. You know? like, yeah. That's not fun to watch on screen. Well, it's a, <clears throat> I, I, I'm happy to hear that you both are talking this way because you know, it's something that I, it took me a long time to learn, you know, and there are two different thought processes when you're dealing with, with a shoot, right? Especially if you're someone that directs and, and shoot your own work, like the, the folks that do both. And that the, the difference in the brain is, is insane where you're sort of like, all right, go over to that sky panel and dim that down like 5%. Like that's the kind of precision that you're talking about when you're working on the photography side of stuff. But then when you're dealing with performances and perf- you can't go to an actor and go, just turn down that performance like 5%. You know, so it's like, <laughs> it's a whole other mindset, a whole other brain strategy. And it really took me reading the works of uh, Judith Weston and directing actors and and really sort of understanding how to do my prep as a director and understanding the, the power of questions and how it's your, you get such richer content. If you ask questions, you don't demand things. You don't ask for things. Or you don't say you, you don't you don't try to uh, crowbar in what you think that should be done or how you think this scene should play out. And you can still I, I, I've heard from folks. It's like, well, how are you actually directing the scene? How are you manipulating the scene? You go, well, you can still kind of manipulate it with the questions you're asking, and you can still go th- through that process. But I find that it's so much more fucking enriching if you're turning to the people that are around you and saying, physically, how do you do this? And what yeah. if, why, what if, what if before you came into the scene, what if you were like in line at the registry and, and you stood in line for like three and a half hours and then they told you they couldn't give you a driver's license and then you had to drive home with no driver's license. They ripped up your one there. Well, how would you feel when you walked into this room? Yeah. Like that kind of stuff really sort of st- transforms the performances. And, and then if the performances transform, right, because as a shooter, you know, you're looking at the script and you're like, okay, so physically what's going to happen in the scene is like, they're going to come and they're going to face off to each other. They're going to hit gloves and they're going to start to fight. And so in your mind, you're like, okay, so in, th- in theory, that's going to be a wide shot or I'm going to start on close and the gloves are going to figure out how to sort of do that before you see what happens. And then when you go in and you see it and the actors bring something special because you ask them a question and bring something special, then it, the whole fucking thing changes. And then suddenly- well, that's the first, it, right? And, that, yeah. and that was sort of how like we were trying to keep things- you know, loose enough to respond to that by being on Steadicam and having, you yeah. know, being able to kind of shoot. Cause, and working with non-actors too, I just didn't know if we were really going to be able to like let the fighting stay exactly where it was supposed to be, you know? Right. Yeah. But I, you know, like I had learned the, that the process of like, you know, yes, all the prep and planning, but like also like, as you're saying is like work using, using your actors to help you guide where the blocking is, where the shot is. Um, and I learned that early on, but 
it was really working with Melissa Leo. Um, and she was in our feature as well, but she was so generous and so kind to actually like mm. make it clear to me how, how much more rewarding that it was for her, mm. you know, it's actually just go in there and be alive in the story, not worry about like, I mean, of course, marks and loose blocking, but to like be given that permission. And then from there together, finding the, the, the blocking in the shot. I mean, uh, you at that point you already have a language with the camera with your deep hopefully with your dp which yeah. I, I did and you know that makes it easier but yeah it's it's a very rewarding experience to, working that way for me it is i i completely agree completely agree with you like uh, the the last piece i just did i did with a, a great actor amazing friend of mine and an amazing actor and we went hard in the other direction like you know coming from cinematography roots I went hard in the other direction. And so we spent, I'd say, you know, four months developing a character, coming over and talking about it and just asking questions and talking about stories and other people that we knew in our lives and just sort of doing all this stuff. And then he started to cherry pick things out of it. He went and did the work. So then he started to cherry pick things out. And he's like, I think it'd be cool if the guy had a shake and he's got a shake because of this. And I go, that's fucking rad. I didn't even think of that. And so yeah. then, then when you're on set, prior to doing it this way, I always felt... I always felt like going to talk to the actors was like a dangerous thing. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't want to fuck it up. Like, like you guys, you right. guys, you guys are kind of doing it right. I don't want to screw it up. I don't want to go over there and do that. But this time we would just sit down and, you know, have a drink together, whatever we had there. And we would just sit while the set was being lit. And we would just go like, what if this happened? And he was like, yeah, that's interesting. And he's like, or like, I was thinking like, maybe this could be cool. And I go, Maybe let's try it. Let's see what it does. You know, and, and and that was such an enriching experience because it just felt like two guys sitting on the front porch having a conversation about something, and it didn't feel as loaded with what I felt when I was a younger director, which was like, I need to make sure that I have the shots correctly, and I got to go in there and make sure I have the motivation correctly, and then if I go talk to the actors, I got to talk about what I think my motivation of this character is, and it's the, getting over that illusion that I'm supposed to have all the fucking answers to this. Right. Oh, and what a relief to not have to be the only yeah. one. <laughs> it's more fun. It's more fun. Right? And I, there I, goes that play to be found. You know, there's lots of play in directing, yeah. making movies. Right? We're back to that play that you were talking about. It's very true. I, I know I'm ranting on this, but I, I, I love it. I, I kind of felt that you guys feel the same way, you know, and that's kind of why I, I fell down in this hole. But <laughs> I, I, I just don't think. And I don't. I don't know if you guys knew what you were up for when you <laughs> when you decided to come on this show. But no, this is great, Mike. This yeah. is really just like a fun sort of creative, just deep dive into. It's. Like, I mean, it's it's funny that we've been talking so much about you know trauma too, because like that is really the theme of the mm -hmm. defender. Bring it back to mm -hmm. you know that, and it's you know like the trauma of of you know being a filmmaker is like you know, in relative terms compared to traumas that people go through. Right. Um, but you know, being an artist is, is, is hard. Yeah. Right. Like it is, it is, it's a hard, it's a hard path for people to, to walk. It's very insecure. And you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of uncertainty in it. And you know, with filmmaking, it's, it's that plus a lot of money, plus a lot of like logistics, plus a lot of personalities. And, you know, it becomes this pot that as a, you know, just as a person, like, it's not the easiest environment to 
to withstand, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you have to learn to get really hard. I'm, so I just want to, like, my little trauma story that I wanted to share uh, <laughs> from, from my, my first, this is literally my first day on Zodiac. This is just a good little anecdote. Okay. Day one, I had no idea what was going on. We were shooting at Lake Berryessa, um, and it was a scene where, you know, the girl gets stabbed by the Zodiac killer, like, out on the... <laughs> yes. <you know? laughs> and it's, it's, like, kind of an iconic scene at this point. But like that was like where we're shooting, and it happened to be like at the location where this murder actually took place. Like that's how fucked up this was. Yeah, and and it was like a long you know walk out from the truck. So I'm like humping all this gear like down this place, you know. And you get there and then you forgot something. It's like oh shit, I gotta go back and I'm carrying these cases of hard drives because it was all a digital shoot, you know, like mm-hmm. carrying them down. And then I'm getting yelled at by the the, the, the camera department. They wanted me to get walkie batteries, and then my the data capture engineer wanted me to like, where where are you? I need you to be here, and I didn't know what department I worked for. I was so confused, like, mm. who do I listen to? And and you know, I, I was like out of my depth, you know. And then in the meantime, like they're like right down next to the monitor, and we're doing this scene, and this girl's like getting stabbed, this blood curdling scream, and like the whole <laughs> thing was just like, it was like I, I came home that night and just like what the hell am I doing? Like, what is this? You know, like the, the blood curling scream was a little bit of just like, that happened to be the scene they were shooting. But I was like, I was spooked. Like I was, li- I was really spooked. Like what did work the next day? Like, okay, like let me try to like keep my shit together. And, and I was, you know, and you just, and you learn. And so like after a while, like you start to, to learn, you get strong and you get strong and you, you understand how to like, you know, you toughen up and, and, I don't know. It's just, but I think a lot of people in, in film, like you just, you have to put up those, those barriers and it's. Well, yeah, dude. I mean, but it's a, it's a whole yeah. different, it's a whole different world when you're on one of those big shoots. I like guess it's, it's unionized, right? Yeah. Most of the time it's unionized. So there's a system in place. So there's like, you're supposed to do a specific thing a specific way. You're supposed to have a specific amount of people do a specific thing. You're like, okay. But it's also very like when it's large shoots, anytime I've ever been on one of those, they're, very impersonal and like so yes the director's dealing with the department heads and the director's sort of processing all that but then you'll have sometimes on these massive fucking movies you know you've got hundreds and hundreds of people working on this stuff and so yeah. you, you don't like you're like how do i fit into this weird it's like it's like suddenly being recruited for a fucking aircraft carrier right and so now you're put on this aircraft carrier and sent out in the ocean and not really told who you're supposed to be working for and you're 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 in here going like okay where's the all right it's very traumatic i think for a lot of people that get into that business and i think what happens for folks that get into that side of the crew business and they work on larger stuff that shapes them and that like you mentioned your trauma with that that's real with with so many people that i know and that i work with that have, whether they're gaffers or lighting people or camera department people, there's a sense of urgency and trauma that comes with that. And so then when they come and do the indie stuff, it's really weird for them. And I think if you're if you're not a confident leader in the indie world and you work with a lot of people that usually work on union gigs or larger shows, it could feel like they're coming in and bullying you. It could feel like they're coming in and going like, Here's the system. Here's the process. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're, this is how it's supposed to happen. This is what's, and that's just them feeling like they're being helpful to you and teaching you like, this is how the big dogs do it. This is how you should be doing it here. And when I first started, I learned immediately that I had to, uh, 
change their perspective and go, guys, that's not this shoot. It's going to be weird. It's going to be strange. There aren't all these departments that are th this way. You don't have to impress me with how you set up your fucking C stands in the corner. That's not that's not the impression of thing about this. This is this is a family thing. This is a this is indie. So like yeah, you, I mean, good for you for having that awareness too. I know, like, really good for you. I mean, I remember my sister often is my makeup artist, but when she's not working for me, she works on big films. So I remember during our feature, she kept watching me going. You you need to stay in your lane, <laughs> and I'm like, what? I don't even understand what that means. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. it's weird, it's man. Really, I mean, it's just it's also complex too, right? Because like <laughs> you do, yeah, like the staying in your lane thing on indie, like you do end up wearing like a lot of hats, right? And um, but then uh, it's all it's all about finding a way to get into harmony with with the team and understanding like how how this organi organism works best together, you know? Yeah. I mean, and it's why, like, I just understand why people end up working with the same people over and over again. Yes. Yeah. Like yes. you just, it's, it takes time to learn the communication skills and to learn the, yeah, just the, the, the lingo and the, the personalities. And like, I mean, it's why like when you, the, the, you know, the joke in Hollywood, it always is like, well, what's a producer do? And it's like, well, they do like, there's no one producer. No. You know what I mean? Like every producer does different things differently. And that's why there are so many. Cause they, it's all yeah, it's all random based on personality and, and like on the what defender, people are good. At. Mm -hmm. Our whole community has a producing role. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah, I, it's it's fascinating. Uh, I won't go too deep in this, but it's it's fascinating yeah. when you see it. And I, I think that my perception was changed on how a larger movie can be done. Um, when I got to go hang out, I was a personal guest of the Farley brothers and I got to go hang out on two of their movies and it, cool. it, it was fucking wild to watch these guys that are doing massive movies, you know, and just the way that they communicated with their crew and the way that they, they communicated with their team. And I, I remember specifically, I think it was Peter, like what they did a take and, um, they gave me, which from a director, it was gold. They gave me a headset. I got to sit at the monitor. So I got to, I got to hear how they were directing through the headset, which is pure fucking gold. And so he had done this take and he had done this really funny shot. I forget what movie it was for. Did this really funny shot. This dude rolled out of the woods and pulled a gun. It was really hysterical. And um, he walked over to his boom op and was like, what'd you think of that? And his boom op was like, oh, I thought, it, you know, he, the first time he did it, it was a little bit better than this one. You know, he's like, yeah, yeah. And he walked away. He didn't ask the guy like, how did it sound? He didn't say like, hey, did you get a boom shadow in there? He didn't get any of that stuff. He didn't walk over yeah. and like assert his knowledge on that on that crew person. He just walked over and he goes, what do you think? And you 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 firmly believe just through that conversation that when he's not directing, they're probably hanging out at the bar together. You know what I mean? And they're equals at that point. And I thought that it was genius. The the humanity that he brought to his shoot just by doing simple shit like that and i was like that's cool yeah that's really cool yeah mike i have to say this has been a great great conversation because it's just you 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 you, you i don't know you revitalize filmmaking i thought we were supposed to come here and like <laughs> offer something and here we are getting like filmmaking therapy from mike Beth <laughs> well so, come on you guys are giving me therapy too like this is all triggered from stuff that you guys are talking about i mean like this is what we're supposed to be doing. 
Like this, you know, and fuck the goddamn like Instagram filter bullshit out there that says that this job is so cool. And, you know, like it's all about, you know, going in and taking control and being the leader and closing yourself off. And it's like, come on, man, that's just the ego. And it's an ego based on insecurity. And, you know, the more secure you get with yourself, the more you start to let people in and the better your fucking movies are, you know? Anyway, that's 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 the end of my rant. <laughs> thank you. I love that. <laughs> but thank you both. We should probably wrap this up uh, because it's been such a great conversation. We're sort of hitting that point, and I appreciate yeah. the, both of you sharing as much as you have. Um, and I'm I'm curious about seeing Defender. Like, so what's the deal with the movie? You guys in post still? Is it cut? Like, where are you at? We're at the end of post. Um, we're we're sh- we're sharing it with our favorite filmmaker friends for for notes. Nice. Final final thoughts. Um, and then we're and gonna do a, a festival run, festival submissions. And yeah. Nice, 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 nice. Um, how was the post process for you? Was it like, and without going too far into this, because I know we're wrapping this up, but like I often yeah. find that as a director that also edits. You know, you you spend a lot of that that time on set, and you're like, it took us fucking forever to get this stuff, and then you get into the edit room, and you're like, well, there are five clips in this bin. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's been a lot of that. I'm like, wait, didn't we have a moment where she did this? And I'm like, I swear we had that moment. And they're like, no, we don't have that. I'm like, no, no, yeah, I'm gonna sit and look. I prom- I'll go through all the footage. I swear we have that moment, and like. I'm yeah. still not sure if we have some of those. <laughs> <laughs> That's always the hardest part, right? Because then you have to, you have to essentially reprogram your brain and go like, okay, I'm coming out of shooting mode and now I'm going into editing mode and, and editing mode, especially on something that is a indie and something that has a restrictive budget. You're like, I have to make something out of what we have here. So, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, I said to, uh, our editor today, um, Angelica, I was like, okay, we like, I'm, I believe like, you know, there's the intention you start with the intention you end up with when you start shooting and then, you know, it it evolves and evolves. And I was like, let's talk today. What we both feel the intention of this process of what the storytelling is at this point, like Mm. what has it evolved? It's like, we're continuously having those conversations and then going, is that in the edit? Let's watch. <laughs> Let's <see>. That's smart. <laughs> like I don't do that. That's smart. Now you're teaching me something. That's that's actually really smart to keep on track with that because it does change as you're as you're yeah. cutting it. Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been. Uh, I gotta wrap it up. I hate wrapping it up, but we have to. <laughs> um, but this has been wonderful. Uh, you both seem like really great people. I'm very excited about the that's project. Good. I can't wait to see it. Um, big shout out to Fujifilm for hooking us up and having oh this God, conversation. Yes, they've been happen. incredible. Thank you, Fujifilm. Thank yeah, you, Victor. Yeah. Thank you, Marina. Talk about a, a group of people that support artists. It's definitely that team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm happy that uh, they do. Like it's, and I know I say this on every one of these Fujifilm creative series, but it's unheard of to have camera companies that do more than just go like, "Hey, you want to use a camera for free?" Like actually go out and support and help finance short films and and really help directors create oh a voice. Oh, my God. Voice. I mean, we were blessed with a producer, Verena. I don't know if you've met Verena, but she was like, you need an actor? Okay, let me – I'll start – you know, she was making phone calls. She was sending me pictures. Like, wow. 
wow. introducing me to people like, and that was from the beginning to the end. And I'm sure it's going to continue through the festival. So cool. So cool. Very yeah. awesome. You guys are very lucky to have had that situation. And I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that Fujifilm does that for folks. Me too. Well, unfortunately we're at the end of the show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I hope you guys had fun. We did. Yeah, we did. <laughs> I like that answer. Yeah, no, I want. We need to. Uh, yeah, please have us back. Let's uh, let's let's get a drink soon. Yeah, we'll have that drink and talk directing, and it'll be great. There it is in the can, finished great episode another winner for the fujifilm creator series thank you fujifilm for introducing me to jessica and derek i found some kindred spirits with the both of them we were offline going we have to get beers and hang out anyway, yeah we should um very cool uh to hear how jessica is sort of shaping her career as a director to hear how she is confronting her insecurities and sort of learning from her insecurities and learning how to find her voice as a leader uh, behind the camera. And it's it's inspiring to hear. And I hope you uh, feel the same way. Um, and, and really, I want to come back to it. The advice that she got from whoever, her friend or whatever, where she had to like pull it together and put a shield around her and a shell around her. You, you're, you're hearing that all the time in the industry. And a lot of that, I feel like, and this is me making a judgment call, but a lot of that just feels like trauma coming from what people read about what happens in this business. You know, like, and for, I will say this, 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 typically the film business has been a boy's zone, right? It's been a man's world. It has for years, for a long time. And there was a period of time where you sort of look sideways at a woman and go, who's this woman and why is she doing this? I'm not saying that there weren't powerful women in the industry. There were powerful women that were in the editorial department, even in the directorial department back in the day, but it was really hard for them. It was really hard for them to process sort of the toxic masculinity that runs rampant through this business. So that trauma comes to set. That trauma comes to set with a lot of people. And I think... Obviously, you want to make sure that you're in a safe place. You want to make sure that you're respected, all of that stuff. But I think that bringing that trauma to set in a negative way will set you up for failure. And if your job is to be a director, which is to be empathetic and understanding to the people around you, to be uh, an inspiration, to be a leader, your job isn't to have all the answers. Your job isn't to be the voice of God. It's not your it's not your gig. Sometimes it feels that way. Sometimes you have to sort through all sorts of outside bullshit. You got to sort through opinions of marketing departments and producers and clients. That's a big part of it. That sort of outside opinion and people oftentimes it's hard not to look around and feel like there are people that see what you do and think that they can do it better. That is definitely a real thing and that is walls that often close in on you as your director but the the thing the injustice that you will do for yourself and your career is if you let all that change the way you work change the way you connect change how much fun you can have 
It's hard, hard to navigate this. I have gone up and down that hill multiple times on multiple different shoots. And it isn't until I got older and it isn't until I crossed into my 40s that I really found my foundation. I really found why it is I do these things and how I do these things. And I'm learning every time I go to set, every time I get behind that camera, I'm learning something new about myself. Anytime I go out and hang out with my friends, I'm learning something new about myself. Anytime I humbly ask somebody to come and work for me, I'm learning about myself. I'm learning about them. That's what the fucking job is. So don't close yourself off. Don't feel like you have to come running in here and be that person that I'm changing the world. I'm changing. No, just be cool, man. And this isn't a message to a specific gender. This is to everybody that's in this business because there's nothing more toxic than someone that comes in with a lot of fucking baggage and just throws it all over the place. I don't know. Something to think about. Make sure that, and this just goes, it's, it sounds, it blows my mind that I even have to say this. Treat people the way you would like to be treated that's it man that's it and remember each one of your paintbrushes has their own little world has their own life story comes with their own traumas and if you're real good you can identify what their traumas are immediately and put them at ease that's your job all right anyway let me get out of here i feel like i'm ranting too much thanks for listening to the show and as always, I'll be back with bigger and better guests, some exciting new content, brand new episodes of In Love With The Process. So thanks for being here.